You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Frankie. Hey, Adam. <laughs> Realised I haven't pulled off Classic. I'm all of a tizzy today. Oh, dear. Mm. You should be uh, having a ball. Ooh, nice. I like it. Keep them coming. Thanks. Would you say it's a baller move? <laughs> Anymore? <laughs> I'm sure there was, there'll, there'll be more. I don't want to waste them up, up front. Damn, yeah. I pepper like, them in. I feel like those were really wasted. Damn it. Um, the ball's in your court. Oh, God. I need to concentrate one second. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> uh, um, here we go. Okay, got it. Got are it. you going ballistic? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, the ball's in your court. I did that one. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Hello. Welcome to the Labours of Hercule, everybody. It's been a nice week, actually, because we've actually spent time in each other's actual company instead of, we instead have. of walking at each other's faces through lenses. It's been nice, isn't it? We went to, well, I went to your nice. house for a delicious lunch. It was very good. Catch you a pepe. Get you a pepe. You have to do that thing. Catch you a pepe. We have to get the uh, police detective from Triangle at Roads to say it. <laughs> You're going to say it. <laughs> do it properly. Catch you a pepe. <laughs> <laughs> it's the hot pasta dish. Yes. Uh, and we went to Costco, didn't we? we Our did. favourite place. Yeah, we did. I bought loads of food. You sure did. Did. did us all proud. Uh-huh. Short rib ragu <laughs> that's taken... Three days so far. I'm still still working my way through it. I'm going to make a chili with some of it. Oh, nice. Yeah. You should do like a sandwich as well. Anyway, mm. we can... That's not, not, not important comments. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so... <laughs> got some messages. Should we go into those? Let's do that. Uh, so we have a few emails and we had some lovely comments and messages as well. And also, we're going to do a little quiz, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't Frankie's revise. Oh, no, I didn't revise it isn't fair etc is that my voice <laughs> is that meant to be me uh and i mean not to jump ahead i mean but you're, you're actually, doing it now but yeah go on <laughs> actually i was writing my quiz questions the other evening and i was like these are actually really easy i'm being way too nice to adam so mine were easy anything, you're welcome they weren't easy what they weren't what was easy. the last book she wrote how easy. many times has ariadne oliver been in the war episode what were the names of those call me off guard I didn't even know there was going to be a quiz. <laughs> it was thrown upon well, me. I have, anyway. To, to be honest, I have not swatted up at all. I've been very busy. So, um, But they're really good. They're really good questions, if I do say so myself. You're going to love them. It's going to be great. But okay. let's do the messages first anyway. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> we had an email from Ruth with the subject line, La Controversy at Venice. Ooh. This is where, yes, is this says, just going to be a barrage of people saying, actually, A Haunting in Venice is a terrible film? Etc. Because I saw a couple of comments like that. Well, I'm perfectly willing to admit that my tastes are different to other people's. But, um, 
No, it's not all a barrage. It's not all a barrage. <laughs> it's not a barrage. It's a light uh, flooding of that. <laughs> no, everyone's very... Look, our listeners are all very lovely, fair and reasonable people, such as Ruth, for example. So she said, Dear Frankie and Adam, brackets Joe, uh, following right. the last... That Ruth. Following last week's episode, well, it's actually a couple of episodes now because it came in after we'd recorded, I've given some thought to the controversy and here it is. And you'll like this. I think Frankie should watch the new rendition of Poirot, especially after Adam's take on it. And here's why. Number one, I think Adam may have enjoyed it more because he was expecting so little and they probably made it different enough to appreciate it for what it is. <laughs> is that fair? I know. I, I love it when people tell me why and how I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. She's trying to understand that. your mindset. Okay, no, you don't have to understand. That's all. My favourite film is The Brighton Strangler from 1945. So don't worry about trying to understand why I like things. It's just Stop like, being so defensive, Adam. Oh, God, Jesus. God, God. <laughs> Number two. We know that David Suchet is our true one and only poundly <laughs> true Poirot. Nothing is going to change that for us. But it may help new vi- viewers get close to it and discover Suchet's rendition through the movie whilst looking for more content, which is true and fair. And you said the similar thing to that. I don't, I don't contest that. Okay. Number three, <laughs> love is limitless and appreciating some new Poirot for that. That's all that happens in the end. Won't remove any of the love we have for our Poirot. Yes. So that is I also very much very agree true. with that. My watching Haunting of Venice doesn't erase David Suchet from existence. I mean, doing it twice might, but whatever. Doing it twice, uh, yeah. And num- that threatens <laughs> its place in space-time. I agree. Number four. <laughs> that way we will hear from you both for longer and we'll have more future episodes whilst you explore all of the Poirot multiverses. Now people are really going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Are you, are you ending the podcast? God, we thought you were a finite thing. We were 79 supposed to be and now there's going to be 80 bloody eight of these. People God. like, people, people want more. That's very flattering that you would want, you're all gluttons for punishment for wanting more. That's want very more. kind. It's very sweet. You're all little Oliver Thank you. <laughs> Please, sir, I want more podcast. Uh, she says, I hope this doesn't break Frankie's heart. I don't want to see you, brackets, hear you suffer as potentially funny as it may be to hear you rant endlessly about it. If Frankie watches it, I will do so too, as I've been furiously avoiding it as well. Mm. Sending loads of love your way from Ruth. Thanks, so, Ruth. Thanks. That was a very well-reasoned email. Yes, it was. Very nice. Shout out to Lucian. We got another email from Lucian. <laughs> And he did, he did acknowledge, bless him, he's so sweet, he says, hi, it's me again. It's me, dot, 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 again, beautifully <laughs> paced. Uh, I just want to let you know that I have a tendency to apologise too much, like you two said. And thank you for not butchering the pronunciation of my name. Lucian, it's the first time that I've got it right, so hooray for me. This is great. Uh, there was a lot and... of editing went on, honestly. Lucian. Um, what? Lucian. <laughs> Look nice. You're being very, very uh, feisty today. I don't know what this. I just got back from the gym. So my here. blood's all pumping. Oh, that's it. He's been pumping iron. He's like all roided out. Roid rage. Absolutely. I could be in the WWF right now. Yeah, that's it, brother. Yeah. Uh, you and Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Son. Uh, uh, and he said. I've also caught up on the podcast episodes and this has been very fun and enjoyable. Nice tidbits. I don't think I would have heard anywhere else. That's quite nice because no one else is as lowbrow as us when they talk about these things. (laughs) I remember from one episode I heard that one of the two of you hasn't watched Doctor Who yet. And that is me. I'm not a Doctor Who viewer. 
And if that is still the case, I would recommend The Unicorn and the Wasp, which is the episode with Agatha Christie mm. as a character, which I've heard a lot about but never seen. That's very good. Simply just to see it, see if it's enjoyable. Uh, if you want a taste of its more serious side, I would just start watching it because there's a lot of really good episodes with a serious side. So I will have to check out that specific episode. Yeah. Uh, what's her name that plays her? Uh, la, 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 la. Fenella Woolgar. You'll know her face. Oh. Yeah. Do you know her face? don't know the name, but I hope I will look up her face. Yeah, she's, um, she's, she's one of those actresses who's been in everything. And you, and you go, ah, oh, as soon as she pops up as Agatha Christie in that, you'd okay this is good casting and yeah everything. let me see if i can find there you go you can see her oh yeah 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 i know that face has she been in a, in a poirot episode she, she looks familiar she might have done let's have a little yes she was lord edgeware dies i knew it i knew i'd seen her face of late great well we had another lovely email from bridget and she says, hi, Frankie and Adam. I only recently caught up on the podcast. I downloaded them all to listen to while flying between Dublin and Boston to visit family. Two more stops on the world tour, she says. Nice. So we'll add in Dublin well, and Boston. Yeah, Bridget will have to uh, be our tour manager for that part, that, for that leg. <laughs> the leg of the tour. Leg. Well, she says, so hopefully downloading in two countries, uh, one right after the other, did something interesting to the numbers. It did. It got us our sponsorship deal, didn't it? <laughs> yes. From Guinness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Bridget. It's very thoughtful. She says, whilst the Royal Ruby isn't my favourite episode, it hits a soft spot as a Bridget, spelled differently but pronounced the same as Bridget. Poirot says my name quite a bit in this episode, and I believe even gets a little mistletoe kiss in the original story, brackets, Frankie wishes. Yes, I do, Bridget. I really, really, <laughs> really do. Uh, she said, like, I can't wait for you to cover the Victory Ball. It's such a fun little romp, uh, especially with how much fun Hastings has with it. Et bientôt, Bridget. And just my two cents, a little PS here. If Kenneth Branagh was never mentioned again, I would not cry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Me too, Bridget. <laughs> Same. Stop mentioning uh, him I can then. relate. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I was thinking about this. Actually, we should need to address this, the elephant in the room. Go I on. listened to uh, your edit of the last episode of the Royal Ruby. Uh -huh. And uh, you really enjoyed that little, re that little rewind sound effect, those little features that you uh, hopped in there. The thing is, though, your acting is, though, I was like, out of the blue, by myself, like, hey, let's watch the Kenneth Branagh films. It's not quite how it happened, is it? You watched them and then said, we should watch them. That is why I put it to a vote. Well, well no, because you'll find that moment now and do the spinny back thing yourself, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> I won't because I only, I only have it in writing. You never said it out loud. Oh. I only have it in writing that you said we should watch it. Well, then so, put it on the socials. I don't remember saying that. It holds up in court. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm sure you're... You said I think I'm, we should watch them. I'm sure you're right. Oh, yeah, I did. I actually, right. Yeah, I did send you a message saying that. You're right. Yeah, I did say, yeah, I think we should yeah. watch them. Quite fun. But I didn't you all heard him. I didn't he admits like, it. I didn't, I didn't mean as a podcast, but you've made it a public thing now. So I just meant, you know, as a I assume Sunday that's what you treat. meant. Oh, okay. Right. Just, you shouldn't ever assume it makes an ass out of you and me. Ass. <laughs> you can't spell properly. <laughs> you can't pronounce properly. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when we used to be friends? Suche. <laughs> Do you know what? Also, we'll get onto some of the messages we had in a bit, but people really like us snipping at each other, apparently. I thought this was such a lovely podcast where we were just so it all is. happy. It's cozy snipping. Cozy snipping. We'll see about that. No, it is. It is. <laughs> Don't revive me. Uh, we, speaking of cozy loveliness, a lovely message from Pete, who says, Good morning. I became aware of your podcast a couple of weeks ago and have been working through your back catalogue of episodes. Poirot, brackets, the Suchet... Oh my God. The Touchet version. Suchet. Poirot, the Suchet version is my go-to choice for whenever I'm at a loose end. 
Just enjoyable to watch repeatedly and what a performance by the man himself. Couldn't agree more, Pete. Couldn't agree yeah, more. Yeah, absolutely. Your podcast has prompted me to have a closer look at certain aspects of the episodes and it's refreshing to know it's not just me that still loves watching them. Enjoy your banter and insights. Thank you. Keep up the good work and hoping one of the cinema screenings of Curtain is near me. Now, we're not doing like a tour, unfortunately. It is only going to be in one place. We're not. Oh, no, we're going to do a tour. But that's going to be uh, more like a breakfast in in every city. But um, That's going to be more like a, a pub crawl. I, I can tell you now that the, the curtain screening is going to happen, and it will be in the Wiltshire slash Berkshire area. So we'll give you yes. plenty of notice. So time to move house yeah. <laughs> and get there. <laughs> there will be rail links, uh, good rail links to wherever we have it, and it will be in the Wiltshire slash Berkshire area. So, yeah. We'll let you know it's close to the time. We'll give you at least six months' notice. It won't happen until, like, you know, I reckon sort of spring, summer 2025. But it is going to happen. Yeah, definitely going to happen. Yeah. And he says, to finish, I know this doesn't overly work on an audio production, but it was my birthday recently and my 12-year-old daughter, Isla, made me a card and drew a picture of Poirot freehand. It was a total surprise and an amazing talent. Thought you'd appreciate Already making the next generation aware of this brilliant show. Now, I will send you this and I will post this on our socials. Oh my look God. How good. Oh, that's amazing. Isn't that great? Yeah, we've got to definitely put that on the socials. That's brilliant. Isla, you're, 12 you're a genius. Years old. Mm. That's incredible. That is my kind of 12 year old. Isla, you're magnifique. Très bien, <laughs> indeed. And we also had it's an email from Victoria. The subject line is horrible accent question. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Bonjour. I know you both love to make fun of the horrible accents the actors attempt on the show, as do I. So I have a question. Have you ever seen the Marple episode 2006 called By the Pricking of My Thumbs? I've not seen that one, have you? No, I've not seen that one. I kind of ignored all the Marple after Joan Hickson. Yeah, that's the thing. But it sounds like we need to give it a watch because, as Victoria goes on to say, Mm. I have a few issues with this episode as Marple is not in this book at all. I don't like how they've portrayed Tuppence in this episode. However, my real beef is with the random American soldier character, Chris, they created. The American accent is just so bad. I'm not even sure if the actor is actually speaking in the scenes or if it's been voiced over. I am forever haunted by this. I was just wondering if you'd heard how horrible this is. And if you haven't, can you please watch this episode and briefly let us know your thoughts? It's just so comically bad that I felt like I had to share my suffering. I feel you'd both get a kick out of making fun of it. So misery does love company. I totally get that, Victoria. And uh, we'll gi- we'll give it a listen, and we'll let we'll come back to you on that. It sounds right up my street. I love a bad accent. I love a bad. I love a bad like anything. So um yeah, fantacular. Thank you for pointing. Bad me boys, it. bad accents. Mm-hmm. That's just your thing altogether. Bad eggs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she says, P.S. I also do not like Kenneth Branagh's portrayal of Poirot. I've only seen the movies to criticise them. Looking forward to hearing Frankie's criticism of them as well. Thanks for taking the time to read this. And that was Victoria from New York. New York? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How's <laughs> that for New York City. <laughs> Everyone's turning off the podcast. Wow. As a preview of By the Pricky of My Thumbs, by the sounds. Yeah. Uh, New York, the big apple. <laughs> So thank you for all your emails. Mm. Lovely to hear from everyone. Please keep sending emails. Mm. You can do that by emailing us at bonjour at thelabourzofhercule.com. Yes. And as you can see, we read them all out. As long as they're not offensive. Damned offensive. You're damned offensive. Before you move on to social messages, um, I just want to quickly mention before I forget that when I came to your house, you very kindly 
handed me the puzzle in yes. an envelope that was sent to us. Yeah, I just want to quickly say thank you very much to Natasha and Murder by Post for sending that. We not only did was she very kind and sent the Murder by Post thing, which I'm very much looking forward to playing. She also sent us a lovely little notebook as well. She did. It's Super lovely. The cutest notebook in the world. Now, I'm going to make an admission because I think it's only fair, but I want her to know that my daughter, Matilda, saw the notebook. She's stolen it. She, she kind of claimed it, but she's <laughs> using it to write her film scripts and songs in. So um, I, did, I cool. did say that I would uh, mention on the radio that, that Natasha very kindly sent this notebook in. And I want you to know that even though I'm not using it, it's being put to very, very good use by a very creative 17-year-old who thanks you from the bottom of her heart. So thank you. Oh, that's lovely. And Natasha, I'm going to use mine to uh, solve crimes. So thank you for that equally valuable <laughs> input. <laughs> we talked about, um, hopefully, I mean, we Adam is a very busy boy. We don't see each other in person a lot, but we are talking about maybe recording us having a go at solving your mystery, mm -hmm. which would yep. be interesting in the future. So We also, um, I mean, as well as Potterton Creek, which is definitely going to happen <laughs> in the future. We thought as well, I don't know if anyone has heard of this literary phenomenon. It's called Kane's Jawbone, <laughs> which is like, uh, well, it's best if we don't try to explain it. Or can you sum it up in like a paragraph? No. It's like a... Google it. It's like, yeah, it's like a, a century old literary puzzle. It's a book that's in no particular order. It's made up of passages that you have to read through, try and make some sense of it. Yeah. It's all clues. It's very, very layered. You have to rearrange it. Apparently only three people have ever solved it. But uh, Frankie and I, Thought we might give that a bash as a podcast as well. So, and as well as the uh, cookery book that we are still in the process of <laughs> assembling. Um, so yeah, plenty of more me and Frankie yeah. if you if you are that way inclined. Sorry, everyone, Sorry, <laughs> that way inclined. We're gonna be here for decades. I'm fine. <laughs> oh, stuck with us. Sorry, guys, but we'll see. Also, none of these things are going to be happening anytime soon. By the yeah, way, yeah, yeah. so just just say that. Adjust just expectations. I mean, we'll be silverhead. Yeah, I already am. Same. <laughs> <laughs> we better get cracking then <laughs> yeah <laughs> weeks of life left oh god we had some lovely messages on our social channels as well as i alluded to just now we had a message from michael on instagram that said it was after the royal ruby and he said oh my god this is my favorite episode ever of any podcast especially when you both get a wee bit prickly <laughs> i could listen to you both talking about paint drying well done have you ever seen paint drying i have have you <laughs> trying just to, painted that try, bloody wall and I trying to because I have been painting walls white lately oh is this what you wanted Michael <laughs> <laughs> oh I see I was like I thought I was like Jesus Christ Adam's suddenly gotten really boring <laughs> I can't believe I you didn't twig <laughs> I'm very, I'm very stupid. I've never denied that. And he says, on a side note, it's amazing that your audience is so nerdy that in addition to, to me, brought up the dueling scars. You gave props to a guy called Matt, who quite like to meet as I seldom find people as nerdy as myself. Really side note, had no idea about Frankie's Egyptian heritage. I do have Egyptian heritage, too, indeed. Yep. Good on you, he says. Thanks. I don't really, it's not really something I've chosen. It just kind of worked out that way. Uh, yeah, so that was nice. People like people like the snipping. People like us Do bickering. They? Okay. Fine. Yeah, I, mean, I we've, think so. We've sort of grown into it. I don't think we can really ever go back now to you know, no. that, that sort of awkward. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Frankie, it's worse to me. Well, no, you're nice. Yeah, right. The thing is, I personally, and like, don't get like big headed or anything, but like when I have very good relationships with people, I tend to just be borderline bullying, bullying to them slash taking the piss. 
That's how I show that I care. That's so, a great compliment then. So me and Kenneth Branagh are best friends and I care for him very deeply, clearly, with that in mind. As long as you value me more than Branagh, that will, that will always be the watermark for me. I mean, the bar is low there. So yes, I value you more than Branagh. <sighs> Relief. <laughs> you are welcome. Compliment day, my God. <laughs> Uh, There was also a message on the previous episode from The Real Lippy. He said, just listening now, but I had to say how hilarious it was when Frankie dropped the most honest what the F is wrong with you when Adam mentioned he went to see Haunting again. It was like a reflex response. So good. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do love how well you all know us now. (laughs) I can't even hide it. You guys knew. You guys know. It's brilliant. Also, a comment from, I sat on a cornflake. That's damned offensive. <laughs> You're damned offensive. Damned offensive. I love your new usernames, guys. So good. They say, I've been wanting to ask for the longest time, but who would you say is your most embarrassing crush from the series? For some reason, I'm head over heels for Jap. I'm literally in uni watching the series again just for him. Very embarrassing. Jap is nothing to be embarrassed about. I love Jap. Mm. I would do terrible things to Jap. Like... All day long. Well, I like an older lady, so I've fallen in love many times on the... Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. There's a there's an episode with Diana Rigg and Rachel Sterling, isn't there? Mother and daughter. Oh. Um, that would be a... I mean, not both at the same time. That'd be a nice sandwich to be, be the nice. filling of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 uh, I've been told, I don't agree with this, that having a crush on Poirot is weird. And I don't think that's weird at all because mm. he's the perfect specimen of man. Yeah. As it, They all are. I fancy all of them. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I'm horny for the entire cast. Uh, I love them all. Miss Lemon included. Throw them in. I love them. And they're hot and I would. All day long. Oh, I didn't realise that had a giantess fetish until I saw Murder in the Muse. Amazonian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah now it's Plenderleaf. Yeah. I mean, I'm quite tall anyway. So knowing that there are ladies out there that are even more statuesque is, uh, is very nice. We are assuming she's very tall, but she's standing next to Poirot, who's like quite small. Yeah. She's not like she's next to a height chart. <laughs> he came, he came up tell. to her kneecap. So I'm assuming that <laughs> she's pretty. And she did actually look in on them down the chimney, didn't you she? Remember? Um Of the... Yeah, yeah I do remember that now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> also had a lovely message from Inca, who said, just discovered your podcast and absolutely adore it. All this humour coming from the nerdiest place of love. Thanks for that. Thank you. Very nice. It is all from a place of love. That's why we savagely bully each other. And then we had a message from Astro's Amy on Twitter, oh, who right. said... Yeah, just listening to the new episode, if Frankie's grossed out by adding things to plum pudding, you've obviously never had king cake for Mardi Gras. A little plastic baby is included in the cake and whoever finds it gets to buy the king cake next year. That doesn't sound like a reward. Doesn't that sounds like a punishment? And why would you put a baby in the cake? I mean, if you're if you were broke, surely, and you're eating the cake and suddenly you feel this plastic baby, you'd just keep eating, wouldn't you? eat around the baby just like you know <laughs> buy it bit, the baby swallow it and go well i didn't find it i'm not buying flaming cake next you year, sound like it? a fairy tale witch when you say that <laughs> i'm gonna eat that baby <laughs> delicious yeah that sounds horrifying and what a wonderful prize to buy next year's cake i don't understand that at all we'll look that up later <laughs> and one last message from uh miss Ch- mrs chester and she says bonjour frankie and adam 
I've just caught up on the latest podcast, The Theft of the Royal Ruby. I pretty much have the audio CDs of this, Hercule Poirot's Christmas and the Sitterford Mystery on permanent loop on the CD player in my kitchen through November and December whilst I'm Christmas baking. That's awesome. Heaven. Yeah. That's the best time ever. That really is. I'm with Adam on the whole dried fruit. Yuck. So I'm going to send you a recipe for rum butter tarts, Adam, so you aren't missing out on the flavours of Christmas. I'm good. But thank you. It's oh. extraordinarily kind of you to put rum in stuff as well. I'm not going to talk about Mrs. Chester, he's an incredibly fussy It sounds like I'm so... incredibly fussy. I enjoy lots of Christmas mm. food. I love stuffing and I love roasted meats and I love gravy. We know you like I... a good stuffing. That's because Diana Riggs involved. <laughs> <laughs> but send it in and we'll include it in our cookbook. There you go. I've got, I've got, she sent me the sent me the thing. I'll send it over. Okay. It does it very good. Nice. Uh, she says, anyway, I highly recommend the audio CD of The Theft of the Royal Ruby, which is entitled The Adventure of the Christmas Pudding, the original title. The characters are all more suspicious and ambiguous, especially Sarah's role in it. There's more explanation of the story and it makes a lot more sense. The plot holes in the TV version are sewn up, sewn up neatly. I'm not sure why ITV left it all so vague. There's also a wonderful description of Frankie, for me, she knows what I like, of all of the Christmas foods in the house and the cast is top notch. Sean Phillips and Donald Sinden illuminate everything they're in as they play the Colonel and Mrs. Lacey. I love Donald Sinden. I had a bit of a Never the Twain fest a little while ago. And, um, oh, did you? Yeah, I did. This is incredibly embarrassing <laughs> to admit. But yeah, for about two weeks, I watched every episode of Never the Twain while I was making it <laughs> with my family. Yeah, so I love Donald <laughs> Have you ever seen that That vid? was the last time he saw his family because they left. <laughs> That's what I mean. You can't, you can't tell me that my taste is bad. I'm very aware that my taste is bad. <laughs> I watched all of Never the Twain. Have you ever seen the Viz comic strip, There Goes My Night? Huh? Yes. Yes, I have. You show, I saw it on a video that you did, actually, an interview. Oh, for yeah, yeah. Which podcast comic, was it? Comic Cuts, I think it was, yeah. Oh my God, it's the yeah. most hilarious thing ever. <laughs> it is very <laughs> funny. Hmm. But anyway, yes. right. Well, thank you all for your messages. If yes, you guys want to send messages, mm. send them in. We love them. Amazing. Are you ready for quizzing? I think I am. Go on. I'm not, ty- well, I'm not typing away. I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. Hands up here. I'm joking. Go on. No, TA. Keep your hands where I can see them, buddy. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a theme for these questions mm-hmm. because, as you mentioned earlier, we love food. We talk about food a lot. We're planning a recipe book one day in the uh, the distant future, likely. So all of these questions are based on food that has been featured in the episodes we've seen so far. Oh, okay. So let's test Adam's memory and love of food. It's the worst thing you can test, by the way. <laughs> no. Also, listener, because we do intend on doing something recipe book related one day, I am making a spreadsheet of every dish that's mentioned in every episode. So Adam has access to all this information very freely if he wanted to. So let's see if he's actually checked. I can see the reflection in your glasses if you're cheating. Uh, so nice try. Sorry, what? And yeah, oh, damn it. No, I'm kidding. I won't. Let's see how much Adam's looked at the spreadsheet that I so painstakingly, lovingly made. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. So it's six questions, okay. total of 10 points. That was the rule, right? 10 points. Yeah, just as long as we get to 10 points. Okay, so the first question for one point. Mm-hmm. Ready? Yep. Alice Pengelly is poisoned in the Cornish mystery. What dish was the poison added to? Oysters. Okay, very good. Number two for one point again. In Triangle at Rhodes, Poirot enjoys a local delicacy deliciously titled Fowls and Spit. What does that meal actually consist of? Um, it's, isn't it, 
lamb's livers on a skewer or something. Lamb, lamb's livers on a skewer. I'll say roughly that. Okay. Okay, number three. Which of the following was not on the menu at the restaurant where Henry Gascoigne enjoyed his last supper in Four and Twenty Blackbirds? Okay. Not on the menu. Okay. Not on the menu. Was it A, fillet of sole? B, roast turkey with cranberry stuffing? C, fish pie? Or D, blackberry crumble? C. I think it was C, fish pie. Okay. Uh, number four. Mm-hmm. And there's a possible five points here. Okay. <laughs> Name as many components as you can from the breakfast Poirot and Hastings enjoy in the adventure of Johnny Waverley. Nice. Okay. So I'm going to say definitely bacon, but crispy. There's... Is it livers or kidneys? Which one is it? I remember thinking, ew. Um, <laughs> are you counting ale, by the way? Do you want to add that to the list? I mean, I'll say ale, because they both have ale with their breakfast. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say livers, scrambled eggs, sausages. Those are my... Oh, hey. Do I just get to pick five, or can I just keep naming things? And then... <laughs> That's cheating, <laughs> no. otherwise you go on forever. So sausages, crispy okay, bacon. Very good. I'll say livers, ale, and scrambled eggs. Okay, let me just make a note of that. <laughs> Number five. What dish does Poirot compare the moon to in Problem at Sea? Compare the moon to? Yes, he says, oh, look at the moon. It's like a... Oh, no, I have no idea. Uh, I'll say... Um, I'll say a lemon meringue pie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love Last question, number six. What ingredient does Poirot add to his rabbit deliège to make it taste more rabbity than any rabbit Hastings has ever tasted in Four and Twenty Blackbirds? That would be the juniper berries, I think. Okay, quiz done. <laughs> okay, Good we'll job. find out later how I did. Yes. I'm not massively confident, and I know for sure, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> that was great. That was good fun. Thank you. See, that's a good quiz, right? Yeah. Fair what? question. <laughs> because you, we've discussed all of these things before. What? <laughs> we've discussed all of these things before. I, I think discussed. And they're on a the spreadsheet. Okay. Mm. <laughs> okay, cool. Anyway. Yeah, we'll find out later. <laughs> we'll see how sorry. Adam did. And you have to tell us how you did at home, listener. Probably a bit better than Adam. But hey, now for Adam, do you uh would you care to accompany me to a ball? Yeah, let's do it. That was that was a victorious uh, way of asking me. I guess. <laughs> okay, so the episode we're in, we're off to the victory ball. Mm. We open on, and guys, there's a lot of China figurine chat in this in this episode, mm. which yeah, I get I get irritated with because Jesus Christ. But it opens on <laughs> a shot of a number of Harlequin figures. Commedia dell'arte, if we're going to get super Italian fancy about it. Uh-huh. The Harlequinade, ancestor of the English pantomime. Six characters. Garish, grotesque. First brought to life three centuries ago by the clowns and the actors of the Italian fairgrounds. Today, mere costumed characters at a masked ball. Where now their mystery, their magic, their comedy... Their tragedy. I lived with drama students at uni, so I heard that a lot. Yeah, so that is uh, the centre of this episode because Viscount Cronshaw 
is dressed as a Harlequin. Mm. And he goes to see his uncle Eustace, who's also dressed up in costume because they're going to a ball dressed as the characters they own the figurines of. Mm. I think this is a very sort of, I mean, obviously masquerade balls in the 20s. You had to kind of dress as archetypes, really, didn't you? No such thing as a celebrity, really, back then. People who were famous for well, just we'll being famous. Well, talk about that in a bit. But, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, you had famous personages, but you can dress as them because there were people like Poirot and people like royalty and things like that. But, yeah, so I always enjoy seeing masquerade balls in this time because they come as, you know, yeah. a cavalier or something like that. And that's the way fancy dress should be. It shouldn't be like they come as Shaun of the Dead. And also, yeah, when you look at the, like, kids' Halloween costumes, they're all pretty samey. And also just super weird and creepy back then. Mm. So, like, if it's weird and creepy, that'll do. I'm not completely au fait with the way that the Commedia dell'arte works, but I know for a fact that Agatha Christie was obsessed with it, wasn't she? Because, I mean, yeah, her, she even created the Harley Quinn mysteries with Mr. Satterthwaite, which is basically like a 12-part... Not, they're not even all murders, but if you haven't read them, they're fantastically good fun. It's, and it's basically Mr. Yeah. Satterthwaite will turn up to a party and he'll notice something off about someone and then all of a sudden the elusive Mr. Quinn will just appear in the party and he'll say something to Mr. Satterthwaite, you know, sort of point him towards where he should be looking and then Mr. Satterthwaite will save someone's life or stop a marriage from going sour or something like that. So hmm. they're, they're really sweet stories and they, they're like these really clever mysteries where you sometimes you don't even think a mystery is happening and then mr mr quinn mr harley quinn will turn up and he'll sort of point you in the right direction and you'll go oh my goodness was there a murder gonna oh right was that person dead or, oh right it's really they're really clever and they're really fun she only wrote like 12 of them and they're all like magazine published so but they're in a collection called yeah mr harley quinn sorry but just just i just wanted to quickly say that if, if you notice Harley Quinn and Pierre, Piero and all that in a lot of Agatha Christie stories, she seemed to think that they were massively, you know, important culturally. So um, yeah. she included them quite a lot. So that's why they play such a big part here. She loved them and so does bloody Uncle Eustace. Oh, my God. He can't get enough of these bloody things. <laughs> and so to the point where he's talking to Viscount Cronshaw, his nephew, trying to get some more money out of him because he wants to buy more China. Mm-hmm. can't stop the, with the bric-a-brac with the knickknacks <laughs> he bloody loves it so yeah that is the start of it but they're going to a ball mm-hmm. so that sets the scene we then cut to the bbc mm. how cool is the bbc in this i've i've worked at the bbc so i've i've been in some of the older mm. studios and they do a fantastic job of nailing exactly what they're like inside you know and it, you, yeah. when you hear old-time radio obviously i'm a big fan of old-time radio but if you hear an old-time radio play being done, you imagine that you're, they're on a street or they're in a club. or You don't ever think to yourself, oh, no, it's just four people huddled around a microphone with someone with coconut things doing horse. I was going to say. Well, that's yeah. basically what it is. And, and I've, se- I've seen radio plays being recorded. And I've, we've been to the coolest room in the BBC, which is this huge sound effects room, basically. And what they do is, if they need a stair noise, they've got this staircase going up. And... A third of it is wood, a third of it is metal, and a, and a third Different is... Different sounds. It's, so, so you can run up, so you can wear high heels and do... It's really crazy. But um, they, they Which have... you were wearing at the time, so that was helpful. Well, so that was, you yeah. could just run on up. <laughs> uh, my favourite of the little sound effects thing they have on radio is the tiny little door. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I really enjoy the tiny little door that they used to do. The... <laughs> it's great. 
Shout out to Tiny Little Door. <laughs> yes, they're at the BBC because they're filming, as you say, filming, sorry, recording mm. a radio play called Deadly Alibi. Mm. That's a cracking name, by the way. And, really good. Uh, the producer is not too happy because the star of the show, Coco Courtney, played by the lovely Hayden Gwynn in this episode. Yes. He's late, as per usual. In fact, she's been getting a bit later and a bit more tardy and a bit more unreliable as of late. And now we present a play by Desmond Havelock Ellis, entitled Deadly Alibi. Starring Coco Courtney as Loretta Lampton. The late Coco Courtney, as usual. Where the hell is she? He's very annoyed. Actors. Actors, right. But she arrives just in time, and then we hear the radio play being performed because we're in Poirot's apartment. It's very well done, isn't it, the way they thread it all through? Yes. Poirot's there sorting out his stamp collection. Isn't it? Just in his dressing thing. gown. Mm-hmm. What well, the perfect evening. He's arranging them by size. Mm, of course. Because why not? Yeah, that's what you do. It's not the size of stamp that matters. It's um, what you do with them. What you do with them. It's the way you lick them. <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> uh, but then uh, Miss Lemon uh, is kind of, she's on her way out. Hastings comes in and he's basically saying, oh, I've been listening to the forecast. You don't need an umbrella because... Or has only bloody forgotten they're supposed to be going to the victory ball. Mm. Apparently we won't need an umbrella. Oh, you haven't forgotten, have you? The victory ball. You promised you'd try and make it. Ackerley was really looking forward to it. Ackerley is? He's with the BBC, but he's quite a decent chap. Drives an Alvis. Well, unfortunately, I have to rearrange my stamps in order of size. Please convey my apologies to Monsieur Ackerley. I also really like that Hastings is like, he's like, who's James Ackley? He's like, oh, he's with the BBC, but he's quite a decent chap. (laughs) Drives an Alvis. It was a a joke even when I was younger, you know, um, growing up. It was like, if someone works for the BBC, they're obviously a reprobate or, you know, a (laughs) miscreant or some kind of infidel or something. (laughs) 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 Poirot... Uh, actually, I recently shared a reel on our Instagram account that people have really been relating to when Poirot's trying to get out of going to that house for Christmas because he wants to stay at home and eat his chocolates, his demi-kilo, read his books, listen to the radio. Poirot is the king of cancelling plans because he's like, unfortunately, I have to rearrange my stamps in order of size so I can't make it. Mm. Sorry. Mm. I have to. Have to. Have to. Perfect choice of words. But fortunately, Hastings gives his ego, as I've written here, a quick... Yep. Uh, and suddenly... <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to get him to do things. Exactly that. Ackley's desperate to meet you. It'll be a cr- highlight of his career. And he's like, oh, go on then. Let's go. <laughs> Don't want to disappoint my fans. <laughs> and uh, there's a lovely moment where Hastings says, right, I'm going to get my costume on. Pops in behind a door and comes out dressed as... They seek him here. They seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. What do you think, Poirot? Hastings, you look... Incomparable. They seek him here. <laughs> they seek him there. Oh, God, I, I seek him everywhere, mm. especially. Damn delusive Hastings. I'm not going to say what I was about to say. He looks incredibly dashing, doesn't he? It's yet further proof. Hastings is hot in this. Yeah, he really is. Yet further mm. proof that he should have played Bond. Hugh, if you're listening, I, I think there's still time. Anyway, to the ball. Yes. They're going to the ball and going to the same ball are... Uh, Cronshaw and his uncle and a whole gaggle of, of friends who we saw earlier they're going to the same ball what are the chances yeah. and they're going with Coco the actress from earlier we mentioned yeah. who rocks up late classic Coco so you got Uncle Eustace who's come as Punchinello 
and he's the guy who wants more money because he wants to buy more figurines because he's all about the figurines. Man. Wants more tat. Um, he's, he's with Mrs. Malaby, isn't he? That's sort of on 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 his arm. Then you have Coco Courtney, yeah. whose date for the even well, you know her her boyfriend really is Viscount Cromshaw, who you saw at the beginning being hassled for money. Yeah, she's the late actress from Deadly Alibi. She's turned up uh, with Lord Cromshaw, and then finally accompanying them, making up the six that uh, make the. Uh, Commedia dell'arte is Mr. Davidson, played by Nathaniel Parker, who many will know from Inspector Linley Mysteries. Inspector Linley, is it? You sound convincing to me. Uh, <laughs> it's the upward inflection for me that solves him. Yeah, it is. Uh, the Inspector Linley Mysteries, Good job. which uh, is another one of those lovely, cozy crime sort of British TV mystery series that ran for like five or six years. Um, and on his arm is his wife, Mrs. Davidson, and uh, they they make up the Commedia dell'arte people who come in the group. And, of course, Poirot and Hastings are instantly intrigued, as is everyone at the Victory Ball by this lovely group. They make up the Commedia dell'arte party. No, it's Commedia dell'arte. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. <laughs> keep that one. Um, also, can we just talk about Poirot's costume for a second? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I'll just drop in the whole clip, because... Uh... <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's great. I still don't think they'll let you in. I thought I made it clear the victory ball is a costume do. Hercule Poirot does not wear costumes. Everybody does. The whole idea is to go with someone famous. Precisely. Oh. I see. More humility from Poirot. <laughs> so Poirot and Hastings meet James Ackley, the, the producer from earlier at the party, who is wearing a bit of a racist costume. Mm-hmm. That, as I say, options were limited back then. It either was like... Uh, theatre characters or racist stereotypes. Yep. There is no middle ground. <laughs> Thankfully, to, to to back up his costume, there is some racist music going on as well. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we've discussed this before. Take that pinch of salt and sprinkle it over for this episode Heavily. again. Heavily. Mm-hmm. So... Ackley tells, basically, he introduces all of those characters you just mentioned to Poirot and Hastings because they obviously, they, they come in all dressed in these costumes. They stand on top of the balcony. They feeling pretty cool. <laughs> like, best costumes in the house, baby. Uh, so everyone's looking at them and he explains who they are and their relationship. Uh, and we learn a bit more about each of them as well. I mean, I, the party sort of happens blow by blow, doesn't it? But the important stuff is that Lord Cronshaw and Coco seem to be having a disagreement about something and get into a bit of an argument. Chris, get me a taxi, would you? I've got a splitting headache. Coco. It's all been decided, Crunch. Chris is taking me home. The hell he is. You're staying right here. I am not prepared to have an argument about it. Look, why don't we all just sit down for a moment and cool off? Cool off? He's already as cold as an iceberg. With me as the Titanic. (laughs) So Coco asks Mr. Davidson to take her home, please because wants to be away from Lord Cromshaw, who's... Lord Cromshaw's worth saying uh, is dressed as Harlequin, which is quite important later. So Mr. Davison leaves his wife at the party and escorts... <laughs> yup, doesn't even tell her he's gone. He's like, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good husbanding. Yeah, and escorts Coco home in a taxi. And he, you know, very dutifully and stuff, leaves her outside and says, go on off to bed. She says, are you going to go back to the party? And he says, probably a bit late now because it finishes soon, so I'll probably just head off to bed myself. So he goes off home, Coco goes into her apartment, which leaves the four of them at the party. Lord Cromshaw, Mrs. Davidson, Eustace and Miss Mallaby. Very good, good summary. 
And there's definitely a kind of a tension that's been brewing, not only because of their fight, but in just the evening itself, there's like a a bubbling kind of undercurrent of something is happening and something feels not quite right. And Poirot even makes a comment about how... You see, murder, a real murder, is not an entertainment. Oh, look at this place. People dance, they laugh. But anywhere, there may be evil beneath the mask. Uh, We also see a little bit more from Mrs. Malady. She is looking to dance with uh, Viscount Cronshaw. She asks if they've seen him. They haven't. So as a consolation prize, Hastings will dance with her. (laughs) And then, unbelievably, you have the chance to dance with Captain Arthur Hastings. Dreamboat. Dressed as the Scarlet Pimpernel as well. I mean, never more Uh, dashing. mm, mm, mm. Hastings. And what happens? Uh, Utter gent. She spots the Viscount, which is what's a Viscount Conjoy in his Harlequin costume up on a balcony, writing in a little notebook. She waves to him, shouts for him. He waves back, tells her to like come up and she leaves Hastings on the dance floor, abandons him. What? Crazy. (laughs) It's it's mad. But yes, she leaves Hastings flat. He goes back and sits down with Poirot and sort of commiserates about the fact that he almost got to dance. Uh, Mrs. Malaby goes upstairs to meet Viscount Cronshaw, who's just waved down at her because, as you say, he was writing in his little book. And it's at that moment that everyone sort of starts celebrating wildly. She goes into the dining room to find him and he's been stabbed. He's dead on the floor. He's got a knife sticking out of him. And uh, there he is. He's moided. So, within the time it took for her to get up the stairs, someone's come along, stabbed Lord Cronshaw. Are you Cronshaw about that? Yeah, I'm very Cronshaw. <laughs> um, the police are kind of on the scene almost immediately, aren't they? Not just the police. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But also the media as well. And they seem to be making a great big hullabaloo about the fact that Poirot was at this thing, but a murder still happened right under his nose. There's a great moment where Jap arrives and one of the reporters shouts out, you should drop this as a clip. So I hear Poirot has committed a murder. Yeah, any comment to make? Is it true Poirot, Mr. Killer? Tell us the truth, Inspector. Did you spot that as well? <laughs> no, I didn't hear that. I have to listen again. Honestly, I, I remember. Wow. I was like, surely they don't think Poirot committed a murder. But yes. It is a really great theme that seems to be emerging that Poirot goes to parties and someone is murdered. That's the second party in as many weeks, many episodes of hours <laughs> that he's attended. Oh no, the, the sorry, the Spanish chess. He went to a party, someone died right in the same place. So If you want someone out of the way, just invite Poirot to your party and chances are <laughs> you all either die or Bring the person you want to die will die. So yeah. Someone it's it's one of those risks you have to take. It depends how committed you are yeah. to gain that other person. You invite Poirot, you roll the dice and go. <laughs> <laughs> So as you say, Jap arrives and uh, Poirot, Hastings and Jap in- immediately start investigating and studying the crime scene and the body. <laughs> Apparently, he's been stabbed with one of the like table knives, yeah. which is brutal. That is blunt. That is blunt. That is not going it's got in a rounded smooth. end. That yeah. required a bit of force. Is it a butter knife? Yeah. Yeah. With a butter knife. yeah, you'd have to get some real power. Yes, they would. Also on the body, though, they find a small snuff box with a, a C monogrammed on it. Poirot opens it and he is instantly disgusted. What is it? Such foolishness. Young people must realise that life is not to be gambled with like the roulette wheel. This is nothing less than poison. Cocaine. 
this whole thing is a bit of an after-school special, I would say, about drugs, mm. kids. Yeah. Don't do drugs. It's very strange that you said that, because the moment he started going, oh, it's so dangerous, and going off on his little lecture, I was thinking, this is very Grange Hill, definitely. Very, mm. very Grange Hill. You could totally see this as a scene from Saved by the Bell, when um, Jesse did marijuana cigarettes. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's a, they're, a little, they're a little bit judgy, I'm going to say it, but you know, it's, it's a scourge. And so, hey, kids... Stay in school, don't do drugs, listen to Poirot is the message Basically. there. Yeah. Uh, they also find, Jack points out that they found a little notebook next to his body, which Mrs. Malaby saw him writing in earlier, that simply says the word Lowestoft. Uh, so that's potentially another clue that they call out. And there's also, another, <laughs> Hastings makes an observation about his fist. Hmm. Certainly seems to have put up a fight. Why do you say that, Hastings? Why haven't you noticed? His fist. It's still clenched. Sister. Well, I can't see how that helps us. Can you not, Chief Inspector? Then let me enlighten you further. Unless I am very mistaken, there is something very important behind this curtain. Voila. Lord Cronshaw seems to be making a fist, which at first suggests that perhaps he was in the middle of a fight with someone. Uh, yeah, we'll come back to that one anyway. Yes. They also discover, well, Poirot quickly discovers that there is an empty recess hidden behind a curtain in the room where they found the body. Mm. And it's all suddenly becoming very clear to Poirot, as, as is tradition, Hastings and Jap have no idea why that's important or useful, but mm. it is. If Poirot says it's useful, it's useful. We know this by now. He also says a very puzzling thing to Jap. He says, whatever you do, get hold of Coco Courtney ASAP. And um, Jap asks why, and he says, no time, no time to ask, just please find her. Uh, you better go on it ASAP. So, yes. that uh, concludes the evening of the Victory Ball, isn't it? Um, it sounds like a it lot's does. happened. If you when, you when you watch it, um, you'll see it's a lot more linear than... Yeah. Yes. And as you said, the next day, the press are obviously on the scene at the time. The, the, the headlines, the front page is all about this murder with the very flattering headline, Murderer Eludes Famous Detective, along with a photo of Hastings and Poirot. Poirot looks terrible. It's not a good picture of him. He's got his eyes closed. You know- he's squinting. He looks like he's mid-sneeze, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's not a, not a flattering shot. However, Hastings looks fit AF in the photo, to the point where Miss Lemon can't even hold herself back from saying, It's a very good photo of Captain Hastings. It really is. And uh, you can see that she's yes. kind of fanning herself slightly when she says it. She's thinking, can't wait till Christmas. <laughs> Counting down for our little reunion. And the best part is that's when Hastings burst in going, there's a jolly good photo of me in the paper. (laughs) (laughs) He's like me. The moment you get a decent picture of you, you you know, if I ever find a decent picture of myself. Now, I think there have been two in my lifetime. You go, oh my goodness, that's a good good one. And it's usually the one where someone else looks bad, so they want it deleted or destroyed or vanquished from the earth. Yeah. Well, there are lots of very nice pictures of you there. No, there are. Look, I'm nice. Thank you. Shut up. Shut up, you There we go. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they study the paper a bit more and there's Poirot finds Cronshaw's obituary in it, which says that ported a war widow's charity, the League Against Drug Addiction, and we find out that Uncle Eustace inherits the estate. Hastings points out how hypocritical that he had cocaine on him and he's supporting drug addiction. What what a two-faced man, indeed. 
then Jap telephones. So we cut, we cut to the BBC. Uh, Poirot and Hastings have arrived at the BBC in search of Coco Courtney. Poirot seems very, very concerned because Jap doesn't be able to seem to contact her. When it turns out that she's not actually performing live on the radio because, as Miss Lemon explains, the play is performed on Friday nights and Saturday mornings, so they go there expecting to find her in the studio. But, turns out, she hasn't turned up. In fact, the producer is very annoyed again, so he's using a transcription that he recorded the night before. That's why they can all hear Coco on the radio. Poirot is instantly alarmed at this and gets in touch with Jap and demands that whatever happens he needs to get into Coco Courtney's flat and after a few shoves on the door Jap manages to get in to find dun 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 well the bobby climbs up the flat and climbs up the outside didn't he which is quite incredible can we also before we move on to the next bit can I please give a shout out to the chief nurse of the burn unit who works as a receptionist to the BBC because, oh my God, this woman is on fire with her savagery. She's on fire in, this in the burns unit. Exactly. I mean, look, I'm not make, I don't make the rules, but Jesus Christ. Do you know when she ha- he hands her the business card and she says, Hercules Poirot. I'm afraid the variety auditions are on Tuesdays. That is fortunate. I am here on a matter of murder, madame. You're the detective from the newspapers. Correct. Don't suppose you want to miss a second one. Like, pow, pow, out, 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 savage. Ooh, a second murder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. God, she is, and we'll, we'll see her later. She'll be back with more uh, scorching to uh, administer, but yes. As you say, they get into Coco's flat with a lot of theatrics, and unfortunately they find her in bed dead. It's an unsettling image, actually, of her in the bed and like the lamp's knocked over and she's wide-eyed. It's very startling and very sad. The autopsy shows that Coco died of a cocaine overdose. So Poirot reasons that the C on the small box found on Cronshaw didn't stand for Cronshaw, it stood for Coco, which might explain the falling out they had that evening. And also... It sort of ties in with what we've learned about Cronshaw from his obituary, that he was very anti-drugs, wasn't he? Yeah, life and soul of every party. Yeah, so the light's <laughs> starting to come through through the clouds, isn't it, really? Um, you know, they've had an mm-hmm. argument because obviously she wanted drugs. And now... She was coked off her. Yep, yep. and uh, now she's overdosed. So um, Poirot says the next stop is the morgue, where they go to see Lord Cronshaw's body. And they want to investigate that clenched fist. So Jap and Hastings still think maybe it's something to do with the fight he was having when he was murdered. But Poirot, in a very gruesome little scene, asks the uh, mortician to get his pliers out because they're going to crack some fingers open. Look at his hand. What do you observe? Clenched fist. Hastings. I agree. With a fist, why is it clenched? Could it be that it hides a secret? Who was he? Swipe me, he was holding something. The pom-pom. Happy Halloween, kids. <laughs> nice little bit of uh, body horror for you. But yeah, they prize the finger, they cut the fingers, prize them open. 
And inside the fist, turns out he was clutching a big green pom-pom at the time of his death. Mm, interesting. Hidden in the fist. Yes. Green pom-pom, which should suggest that the person who was fighting with him had pom-poms on his outfit. And that sort of narrows things down, doesn't it, really? To yes. Just a couple of people. Anyway, Poirot and Hastings go to see... Eustace, who played Punchinello that night, and asked to see this fabulous collection of Commedia dell'arte figurines. And Poirot asked, The costumes last night of the ball, they were exact replicas of these? To the last detail. And this was your apparel, was it not? Punchinello, with the elaborate ruff and the hump? Yes. I imagine it took some time to change in and out of this costume. I had to hold him up while he unfastened it. He also, uh, Mrs. Malady is there. She is well in with, with him. Now that he is the Viscount and he's got all the money, she is wasting no time in spending it. Yeah. And Eustace isn't wasting any time in spending it either. He's bought the teapots and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Quaint little tea set, as uh, Hastings describes it. <laughs> so they, they're all very, although it's very tragic, he's making the most of his newfound wealth by buying... Uh, the stuff, kind of stuff you see in a charity shop, but apparently it's very valuable. Mm. <laughs> it's a different world, wasn't it? It really was. <laughs> the long and short of it is, though, that um, there's a pom-pom missing from one of the costumes, and uh, it's now really up to Poirot to find out which costume it was torn from. So he goes to see the Davidsons, and in particular Mrs. Davidson, who says to him as they're taking tea that uh, the costumes are no longer there. What exactly did you want? Uh, Monsieur Poirot here has some notion of staging a reconstruction of the evening. Why that is so? Oh. Oh, it is just merely a question of detail to be checked. It, the precise nature of the costumes that were made for you for last night's ball. You understand? I think so. We'd like to have a look at them for a moment, if we may. Do you still have them? I'm afraid not. My husband sent them to be cleaned. Yes, of course. Quel dommage. Well, I'm very sorry to have disturbed you, Madame Davidson. We will just finish our tea. <laughs> Thank you, Hastings. You are right, Madame Davidson, not to consider a career in acting. Your eyes betrayed what your tongue denied. Chief Inspector? There's a pom-pom missing from the Pierrette costume. I really love how well-coordinated... Before they've gone in, presumably, Poirot's gone, Hastings, if I say it's time to finish our tea, create a distraction, and he... Seamless performance. Mm. Uh, yeah, choke to death, please, if I do this. <laughs> it really looks like he's choked. I'm going to set that up with a lot of my friends now being like, well, this is our code. If I say this, do you start creating the distraction? <laughs> I'll run away. <laughs> Perfect. But he uses it as an opportunity while they're, while Jap and Mrs. Davidson are fussing around uh, Hastings. Poirot runs in, opens the wardrobe, and Zutalo, they're all the bloody costumes. So she hadn't gotten rid of them. Mm. And they look. And her costume that she was wearing mm. is missing a green pom-pom. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, it's worth saying as well, Hastings, ever the method actor, turned scarlet during his uh, performance. Ah. So there you go. I'd let him pimp my nail. 
<laughs> don't even know what that means. Don't I, but yeah, it sounded rude. So, right <laughs> Thanks. So there you go. It seems like Mrs. Davison was up there stabbing people and struggling with people, having pom poms torn off herself. But Poirot uh, sets up a nice little rig to uh, to to snare the the murderer. To to the, I, you know when when he does his theatrical, sit everyone in a room and explain to everyone exactly all the secrets that they've been hiding yeah. before unveiling the murder. This is a good one, isn't it? This has to be a, big, a good one. And he had to go big on this because his reputation is at stake. Not only was that, that there's that newspaper headline from earlier, there was a second one saying, second ball death baffles Belgian tech. <laughs> so his reputation is on the line. He can't be accused of not uh, being able to handle a ball, mm. a death at a ball, even. Uh, and so... He has to go big and he has to do this on a national scale mm. because, as he says... And now it is necessary to restore the reputation of Hercule Poirot. It's a great place to do a mic drop moment there, isn't it? You do go, ooh, nice, what's he going to do? As I wrote, F- yeah, like, let's do this thing, baby, let's go. <laughs> it's worth saying, um, earlier in the episode, he was approached by Hastings' friend at the BBC, the producer of Coca Courtney's play, who really wanted him to come onto the air and relay some of his old old cases. But uh, Poirot just wasn't interested. All of a sudden, he's very interested. In fact, he wants the BBC and its broadcasting power so that he can unveil a murderer before the very country that... Uh, Maybe <gasps> Can you imagine listening to that live? It would just, oh my God, best day of my life. So that happens at roughly 38 minutes. If you want to go away and solve it, which you can, if you put your mind to it, the clues are all there. Then, yeah, 38 minutes, give it a pause. And uh, just before Poirot starts talking on the air. Yeah. Affair at the Victory Ball. Yeah. You won't go into the Dunumon just yet. But Frankie, what do you think of this one? It's really fun, isn't it? And I love, I love the all of the Commedia dell'arte elements to it. It's very stylish. It's very cool, and it feels very Art Deco and interesting. And the anti-drug message is like quite clanging mm-hmm. heavily in this one. I totally get why <laughs> we have to say that. Um, and for the record, I don't, I don't even do drugs. I don't know why I'm being all like drugs are cool, man. <laughs> it just you know we're we're a modern enlightened people now. But uh, yeah, it's really fun and great. To see Hastings uh, looking all sexy, sexy. And there's some great comedy in it too. In terms of a mystery, as you say, solvable for sure. I think it's quite obvious, personally, who, maybe not why or how, but the who part for me. Uh, So I will give this one to rate it. I'm going to give it a six, seven, I think. How about you, Adam? Um, Again, I think they really went to town with the budget on this one. The whole masquerade ball is... So many people. Yeah, it's full. And it looks like every single costume in there as well is designed down to the to the nth degree the balloon budget alone yeah, outrageous I mean, even the uh, other locations like the other apartments mm. the bbc eustace's place everything and yeah. the whole denouement where it's the lights down low it's poirot looking his suspects in the eye over a microphone it's great i love it i think the the mystery i think the mystery is really clever i love the whole mm-hmm. way that the commedia dell'arte thing plays into it because you do think, oh, who was wearing what, and how does the how did the costumes tie into things? So I, I think it's actually really really smart. As you say, it is slightly. Once he starts saying that you know she died of an overdose, and you know they argued because he was against drugs and stuff, you do sort of start leaning towards a certain party in the crowd. So I do, mm-hmm. you know, it's more your 
your natural instincts that point you towards them. But that said, if you have no idea, just sit down and look at the clues one by one. You can probably work it out. I think it's really smart, and I really like this one. So I'm going to go for an eight on this one. I think, yeah, I, I think it's. Um, I think this is a. Uh, it's a good one. Yeah, I think it doesn't really sort of babysit you. It just it just says you know. You do. No, that's true. But yeah. Anyway, yes, I'll give Very it an eight. Good. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, listeners, would love to hear what you think of this episode. Please do email us at bonjourthelabelsofhercule.com or on our social channels. We're we're on everything now. We're on Threads, Blue Sky, any new one. Maybe not TikTok, <laughs> but all the other ones. Instagram's our favourite though, isn't it? Instagram's our, is our favourite, our growing baby. It's growing very big and nice. So yes, please do send us messages. I read them all and uh, we'll, get, we'll read them out. Mm. So please do. Yeah. yeah, if you're not signed up to Instagram yet, you know, and you only want to pick one, to communicate with us through then then go for instagram because uh it's it's thriving let's just say that people love a reel it's really good yeah <laughs> yes anyway should we go solve this thing yeah let's do it and also i want to find out what my quiz score was I'm starting to worry now oh yeah i need to add up all of the many points you uh, didn't, didn't get, get yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we'll see you after the musical thing bye right, We're back. Bonjour. And Frankie, do you want to reveal who the miscreant is? Who's the villain of the piece? The villain of the piece is Chris Davidson. Of course. (laughs) Also, she has some amazing names in this show. And Chris Davidson is probably the blandest one of all time. (laughs) He sounds like an office manager from Kettering. (laughs) (laughs) He really does. Oh, Chris Davidson. He's also the first aider for the office. He's very important. But uh, yeah, he, despite his very humdrum name, he's a very dark and interesting fellow, as we soon learn from this little production that Poirot puts on for the radio. We have to, we have to let Poirot take it away. This is the national programme. In a change to our published schedule, we now present a special broadcast. Good evening, everybody. This is Hercule Poirot. I have been asked many times to recount my cases for the radio, but I have always refused. However, tonight, I have decided to present for you a reconstruction of the affair at the Victory Bowl. Also, shout out to Miss Lemon listening at home with like a big grin <gasps> oh on her God, face. Oh my God, the big grin on her face is one of the Never most beautiful that. sights in the world. It's like the eighth wonder of the world. You watch Miss Lemon's face yeah. while she's listening in to Poirot on the BBC. It's like, it's like she's just seen her child for the first time. It's absolutely beautiful. Super adorable. I've got to make a gif of that, surely. Mm, surely. Please. <laughs> I will. Oh yeah, that's for your personal collection. Yeah. Okay. Let's get in the phone. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Lady Smiley. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Lady Smiley. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> You're not used to having women smile at you, I guess. <laughs> Shrieking. <laughs> the motive behind the murders of both Lord Cronshaw and Coco Courtney was the evil drug cocaine. During the victory ball, I witnessed an argument between Lord Cronshaw and Mademoiselle Coco. They were known to be lovers, but Cronshaw had discovered Coco's secret addiction. What the hell are you laughing at? 
The young Lord Cronshaw was a man of high principle. He seized his lover's cocaine and threatened to expose the supplier who was destroying her life along with many others. But Coco was now hopelessly addicted. By the time she reached home, she had obtained a new fatally strong dose of cocaine from her supplier, who now knew the one chance to avoid prison was murder. But what about Harlequin? When I examined the body of Lord Cronshaw, I failed to discover the pom-pom. Why? Because the fist was clenched tight with a rigor mortis. Lord Cronshaw was not killed at 12 o'clock. He was killed earlier in the evening and the body hidden in the recess until later. But that can't be. I saw him myself a few moments before midnight. No, 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 Madame Malaby. The Harlequin that you saw, that very same Harlequin, is here with us in this room. The killer had a duplicate costume, and after the murder assumed the role of Harlequin, even scribbling a false clue pointing to Monsieur Beltane and his obsession with the lowest of China. Ridiculous, huh? Since the elaborate costume of Monsieur Beltane cannot be changed without assistance? No. The murder took place soon after supper, when the killer contrived a moment alone with Lord Cronshaw. It is Cronshaw who knows the truth about the dealing in cocaine. To avoid being exposed and to preserve the evil trade in drugs, the murderer stabs Lord Cronshaw to death. At the time, the killer is unaware that the last act of Lord Cronshaw is to pull the pom-pom from the costume. Then, the body is hidden in the alcove, and the plan, it can be completed. At last, having alerted Madame Malaby just before midnight, the final task was to drag the body from its hiding place so it would appear that the murder had only just been committed. Twelve seconds to midnight. Ten, nine, eight... slips quietly away. <coughs> Knowing that when the discovery of the body occurs, it is believed that he is safely at home. Yes, Chris Davison was the murderer of the piece. Um, he was a drug dealer, it turns out. As oh, say, no. Yes, the, the big old clanging anti-drug message. This was very, very popular. Late 80s, early 90s. Everything had to be... Not just, you know, even when it wasn't needed, let's throw in an anti-drug message anyway. I mean, it was on kids' TV, it was on everything. They were just yeah. huge, 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 a massive, great big push for anti-drugs, and this obviously got caught up in that. I mean, not, not that I could do drugs, because obviously I don't want anyone to do illegal narcotics. You should see what he's been doing on camera, guys. He's rubbing his nose. Yeah. He's... <laughs> but um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so it turns out that Chris was a drug dealer, Coco was hopelessly addicted to cocaine, and had a row with Cronshaw at the Victory Ball because he discovered that she had bought more. So she asked Chris to take her home because obviously Cronshaw had taken her stash so she needed more. So in the taxi on the way home, he'd given her not just a bit of cocaine but a fatal dose of cocaine because he knew that it was only a matter of time before his nefarious activities came out in the open. So 
he gave her, I think it's like pure cocaine, wasn't it? So basically snorting it would... Or just like the world's longest line. Yeah. <laughs> like going out the window down the road, like enormous. So yes, yeah. presumably very strong stuff. Mm. No, but Frankie, how did he pull off the killing of Cronshaw back at the Victory Ball in such a short space of time when he was at home in bed? Well, Adam, <laughs> it's all very clever. And I have to say props to his planning here because mm. it's pretty damn good. They had these wonderfully intricate uh, special costumes made for this ball. But old Chris Davidson popped out on his lunch break from the office and got them from the drug dealing office <laughs> and got them to make a replica of the Harlequin costume. So there were two Harlequin costumes in existence, which he was wearing underneath his Piro costume. Mm-hmm. So he was all ready to go. He very early on in the evening plunged the butter knife into poor Viscount Cronshaw's chest and hid the body in the recess of the supper rooms. Mm, the curtain drawn. Then he ripped like Superman, but not super, nasty man, ripped off his, uh, his Piro costume, revealing the, uh, the secret Harlequin one underneath. And he popped the mask on and he went out there to show that the Viscount was still very much alive. He wrote the false clue of Lowstoft in a little notebook visibly so that people would think that Uncle Eustace was potentially involved in the death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he got the, um, the attention of Mrs. Malady so that she would come in and find the body, which he, as she was coming up, dragged from the recess, plonked on the ground, whacked the notebook next to it and scurried off into the night to get into his pyjamas back at home like he'd been there the entire time. Yes. And when he got home, he realised that a pom-pom had been torn off his Piero costume during the struggle. So, like the lovely husband he is, he snipped off his wife's pom-pom and sewed it onto his outfit so they looked like she was the guilty one. What a great guy. By law, 50% of that pom-pom was his anyway, so I think it's fine. Um, I think I think you mean pom. Oh, <laughs> nice. But yeah, he's a real Mr. Dicker, unfortunately. Really? He's not a very nice man. One question I had on this. So presumably, Coco's drug addiction was known to Cronshaw for quite a while before this party. It didn't all just come out at the party because he had to have planned the outfits and stuff. Yes, but it also ties into the fact that she was completely unreliable. Just lately, she seems to be late all the time because she, you know, she's, I think she's sort of spiralling, isn't she, into this drug addiction. But yeah. So he, yeah, I mean, Davison must have known that things were coming to a head because why else would you get a... Yes. Second outfit. It's, it's, it seems like he'd already planned to kill Cronshaw that night. Yes. But I think the Coco killing was um, a, a, an instinct. Spontaneous. Point. Yeah, it was more like, a, oh, I better get rid of her too, kind of thing. While we're in the taxi, yeah, might as well so. cross that off the old list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Cronshaw not only obviously wanted to cut uh, Coco off from her supplier, but he was going to expose the supplier as well and potentially ruin his business. And he needed the business because apparently acting is not a very reliable source of income and well paid. Mm. So yes. there we go. Well, anyway, so Poirot reveals all of this on the air, as we've just played you through a series of clips. But it's all theory, isn't it? It can't be proved at all. That is until... Then I take it the show is over. Wait. Unless Harlequin has one last trick. Madame Malaby, with which hand did you see Harlequin writing? Oh, my God. 
Cronshaw was right-handed. Christopher Ian Davidson, I arrest you for the murders of Viscount Cronshaw and Miss Coco Courtney. This bit for me was a bit like, ugh. Really? That's a bit rubbish. Uh-huh. Well, in a court of law, that ain't going to stand up. <laughs> That's not like, ah, oh, case closed. Like, it was a bit like... Uh, I think this is one of those... Yeah, it was fun. This is one of those lovely, like, late Agatha Christie, so Agatha Christie Twisteries. clues. You know, Poirot, like, what we can't see from that is he, he picked up the Harlequin figure and threw it towards Davison, who caught it with his left hand. Yes. And uh, Poirot instantly asks Mrs. Mallaby, quick, which hand was uh, Lord Cronshaw writing with when you looked up and saw him on the balcony? And she says, he was right-handed, which proves that Davison was the one on the balcony writing. So Davison, the, the jigs up, basically. You know who else couldn't hear the statue being thrown was the radio listeners at home being like, what? What's happening? What happened? What's All I heard was a big on? thump and then a smash. <laughs> <laughs> or they, do they have like audio descriptors like you sometimes get for people who are hard of hearing? They're like, Poirot throws this figurine yeah, towards Chris McDonald's, Davidson. Yeah, explaining yeah. what's happening in another studio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, obviously it was a different time back then and it was a very much a Christie clue, but it was a bit like, that's what you're going to get him with? The left-handed thing? <laughs> not like, do you not have any proof of his years of drug addiction or like dealing or his like supply roots? Mm. Like, no, he's left-handed. That'll do. That's fine. Hang him. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No need to look into that any further. We've got all we need. And that's it. Davison's banged to rights and off he goes to jail or to the noose when it was around in those days. Um, but then we, uh, <laughs> we get a lovely, lovely little closing quip moment don't we as they're on oh, the yes. way out of the bbc and Ackley, the producer thanks poirot who is utterly convinced that the performance he's just given on the air must have been thrilling i'm honored that you took up my invitation i'm sure it was a most enlightening experience for our listeners thank you mr Ackley. they've been trying to find you the switchboard's been flooded with callers complaining about the dreadful accent lowering the standard of spoken english all that sort of thing Oh. Sir John Reith is waiting to see you in his office. So sorry. Don't take it too hard, Poirot. Indeed not. I am not at all surprised. You're not? No. Chief Inspector, you really ought to look to your elocution. Swipe me, there's nothing wrong with my lingo. You see, that is exactly the kind of expression like half a mother brings the language into disrepute. Come, Hastings. I shall lend to the Chief Inspector my personal copy of the English as she should be spoken. Oh, she really has earned her her role as head of the burn unit of all time, I would say. that She's a queen. She's like Miss Lemon Juice, isn't she? <laughs> she's, <even more laughs> she's bitter lemon, yeah, she's for bitter sure. Lemon. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Amazing. It's another one of those, um, is it Cornish Mystery? The one where the wax museum? Hastings and Jap get their little sort of oh the haunting the the haunty the one the tragedy Marsden Manor called? yeah sorry Marsden Manor yeah. yeah where they get their little like you know wink and a nod to each other at the end they get another wink and a nod yeah here. It's, it's classic stuff. yeah but Poro was having a little wink as well I think when he was like oh Jap you uh, it's all you <laughs> <laughs> wink wink but yeah it's so so perfect it's cracking oh it's another great, great episode. episode really good episode yeah love it and we only have one left don't we and what is it Adam next is the mystery. At Hunter's Lodge, which I always remember being quite fun. It's the one where they're out yes. on the moors, isn't it? And he's freezing cold. That's all. right. Yeah. And then we're done with series three. Yeah. Wow. Wow. We romped through that Goodness. one, didn't we? Yeah, 
Yes, incredible. We really did. Yeah, so we come to the end of season three with our next episode. But rather than take a break, because season four has some really cracking episodes, isn't it? including the great ABC <laughs> murders. Spoiler alert, so it's a ten. Tens across the board. Tens across the board, yeah. But anyway, so rather than take a break, because it seems a little bit redundant to do so, we'll come back straight away. So we're going to finish off season three, Mystery of Hunter's Lodge, and we'll go straight into the ABC murders. Then we'll have Death in the Clouds, followed by One, Two, Buckle My Shoe. Then we're going to take a couple of weeks break and come back with our Christmas special, which should fall just a couple of weeks later. And uh, then we'll be back in the new year to celebrate the birth of season five, which is which is a really good season. <sighs> so. I'm excited. God. And actually, while we're talking about it, feels a bit early to talk about Christmas when we haven't had Halloween yet. But if you have things you want to be read out in our Christmas special, please do send them mm. because we're going to start thinking about that soon. Yep. Love to hear what you have to say. Yes. Yeah. The Christmas special is going to be lots of fun this year. Yeah. Good. <laughs> hey, Adam, do you want to know the results of the quiz? Go on. Okay. Do I? Uh, yes, actually. No, you, as I said, I'm very generous. I thought these questions are very good if I do say so myself. <laughs> but for question one, uh, was about Alice Pengeli was poisoned in the Cornish mystery. What dish was the poison added to? You said oysters. The correct answer is gruel. Gruel? <laughs> gruel. Oh, okay. You're thinking of how did your garden grow? Yeah, I was, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, I was thinking of the wrong one. Yeah. When you, I, so I, I said yeah. oysters and you sort of went wide-eyed and I was like, I'm sure that's right. No, yeah, I was thinking totally no. thinking of the wrong episode. Okay, oh, man, I'm annoyed that my eyes went wide. My poker face clearly needs a little bit of work. <laughs> uh, okay, so unfortunately you didn't get a point there. Okay. The second question, in Triangle at Rhodes, Poirot enjoys bowels and spit. Mm. What's the, um, the meal consist of? You said lamb's liver on a skewer. Mm. The answer is lamb kidneys oh. on a skewer. Oh. So I am going to give you half a point. Okay. Because it's the right animal and on the right uh, serving <laughs> implement. Right. So half a point for that. Okay. The next question was, which of the following was not on the menu at the restaurant in 420 Blackbirds? You said fish pie C, and that's correct. Hey! So you get a point. Okay. Congratulations. The next question, number yeah. four, was name as many components from the breakfast in the Adventure Johnny Waverley. Mm -hmm. You said scrambled eggs, sausages, crispy bacon, and a pint of ale. And I said kidney, uh, livers as well. And, and livers. Mm. So you got four out of five. Okay, I'm cool. giving you four out of five because the list is this. Scrambled eggs, correct. Little sausages. So I'm giving you that because they are little. Bacon, correct. It's technically a pint of home brew is the language they use, but we've been saying ale this whole time, so you're going to get a point for that. The one you got wrong was you said livers. The answer is deviled kidneys. Is that... It's just, it's just about it's remembering which is which in like, which one do you have for dinner? Which one do you have for breakfast? I kind of, anyway. You'd be a terrible doctor. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Appendicitis, is it? Let's cut that toe straight off. <laughs> but you got four points okay. out of a possible five. Yeah, so that's cool. very good. Uh, number five, what dish does Poirot compare the moon to in Problem at Sea? You said lemon meringue pie. The correct answer is oufun coquette. Oufun coquette. Oh, okay. Which we did talk about in the episode, but never mind. Uh, and final question, number six. What ingredient does Poirot add to his rabbit deliage to make it extra rabbity? You said juniper berries, and that's correct. Hey. So your grand total of six and a half points. Nice. So you've got five and I've got six and a half at the moment. We better start cracking these down, don't we? Yeah, heaven forbid we don't keep track of these. <laughs> the, the, the quiz will end at our live screening of Curtain. 
So um, <gasps> be quite a big moment. Wow. Yes. It really will. That's going to be yes. huge. Yeah, that's what everyone's excited for. <laughs> yes, that. that's all the year around. <laughs> yes. Cool, that was good fun. Oh, good. And hope you, hope you got good scores as well, listeners. Well done. I'm sure you did better than Adam, but well done, Adam. All the same. Good job. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Like <laughs> quiz. I know you do. <laughs> the only one that does. <laughs> uh. Anyway, so we'll be back with you next time for the mystery at Hunter's Lodge. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch, you can do so at bonjour at thelaboursofhercule.com or you can join us on our socials. But we prefer Instagram. Yes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, we'll be back soon then. Yeah. Until next time, au revoir. Au revoir. If you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter or X or whatever that numbskull's called it now at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labours of Hercule. And we're on threads at Labours of Hercule. And if you're born in the 1920s yourself, like I was, you can be all old-fashioned and email at bonjour at thelaboursofhercule.com. That's it from us. See you next time. Au revoir, mes amis. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night.